Lord Jesus, as I feel like we've prayed so many times, even just this morning, you are welcome in this place. We believe that you are already here and you are moving. Lord, that when your church gathers, not because of the address and the building that which we gather in, but because your people have gathered, you are present. So Lord Jesus, we come and we invite you, move as only you can move this morning. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak uh, through me, God? Would you speak through us that we may know you more? Lord, may we have a more clear vision of you at the end of this than we had coming in. May we fall deeper in love with you. May we follow you more closely because we've been with you this morning. So come, Lord Jesus, as I always pray, may you increase and I decrease this morning. Speak to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing on through uh, the book of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 14 uh, and verse 27, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there uh, as we get started this morning. And I will warn you, I told some, some people last night, I cried writing this message, and so there's not a whole lot of chance me actually making it through the message uh, without getting a little verklempt. But uh, we'll see what the Lord does. This is a message that... Um, I need to preach to myself again and again, and I have a feeling that there are many uh, that need to hear this this morning. So as we come in uh, to Mark chapter 14, we, we've just come out, if you remember last week, uh, Jesus leading his disciples through the Last Supper. Uh, it's the Last Supper. It's also the First Communion uh, that Jesus leads them through, and he talks about his body being broken for them, his blood being shed to set up this new covenant with God. And, and if there's one thing we know about the disciples, it's that if Jesus is talking, they're missing it. The, the disciples, not great the first time around. They very rarely get what Jesus is saying. Uh, and as he's talking about his, his death on the cross, they miss it. They catch on later and they write some really good stuff about it, praise God. But in the moment, they just don't get it. And so Jesus walks them through the Last Supper, and he kind of talks about they had the Passover, and he says that basically God's doing a new thing. There's a new Passover, and it's me. And then he says, hey, let's, let's go down to this garden place I know and pray. And on the way, he has a conversation with them, Mark 14, 27. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will run away. Because it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered but after I have been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone runs away, I certainly will not. I assure you, Jesus said, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. So here's the thing, again, Jesus is talking, and we've all done this. We all kind of have trigger words. I think when Jesus said, all of you will run away, the disciples stopped hearing a single word past that. Everything that comes out of them afterwards is, I would never run away from you, Jesus. I think that that kind of cut them so deep. Remember, at the, uh, the Last Supper, Jesus had said, one of you at this table is going to betray me. And they all went around, no, it isn't me, is it Jesus? Certainly, I wouldn't do that, would I, Jesus? And now he comes again and he says, you're all gonna run away. And I think they went right back there, nuh-uh, Jesus, not me. 
and they begin, to, they begin to insist, even if everybody runs away, Peter, of course, leading the charge, I will certainly not. I would never do that, Jesus. I don't think they even heard the word resurrection. Jesus said, you're going to run away, and he tells them from uh, the book of Jeremiah, or excuse me, Ezekiel, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been resurrected, he's giving them hope. Look, I know what's going to happen, but once that's done and I've been resurrected, I'll see you in Galilee. Resurrection didn't even register with them. Even if it would have, they probably still would have missed it because they would have said something like, sure, I mean, we've seen people raised from the dead before, but Jesus, it was you who was raising them. If you're dead, who resurrects you, Jesus? So the not me chorus starts. And it says that they all just started going around insisting, not me, I would never, no way. I don't know. Have you seen Thomas? Maybe it was Thomas. I would never, Jesus. And Jesus comes out like, he's very pointed with Peter. I assure you, speaking directly to Peter, no longer to the 12, but directly to Peter, I assure you, Jesus said to him, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, Peter. Let me ask this question, and this is one of those things we... We believe that God not only speaks through me, he wants to speak through all of us when we gather together. So let's learn from each other here a little bit. Why does Jesus call Peter out? Like, like, why does he like legitimately stop to go, oh yeah, Peter? He doesn't do it with anybody else. Let me tell you what you're gonna do tonight. And he kind of lays Peter bare right before everybody, before the rooster crows twice. While it's still dark, before the sun ever comes up on the horizon today, you're going to deny me three times. Why does he call Peter out in front of everyone? Okay. Some of the assurance of after it happens for Peter to be able to look back and go, man, like he, he not only knew, but he didn't, he didn't push me away first. Like he still wanted me, even though he knew the, the thing that I would do, the thing that probably Peter would hope no one would ever find out about afterwards. Why else? Why does Jesus call Peter out? Yeah, this kind of took the, hey, Peter was a good guy and he earned it off the table. Uh, Peter, even while you're betraying me, I still love you. And later, Peter would be able to put the pieces of the puzzle together. I still die for you, even in the midst of betrayal and sin. Why else? Okay. Maybe it's a bit of a humble shot where maybe Peter had his chest puffed out a little bit. Like, again, I don't know about these yokels, Jesus, but I certainly will not. And Jesus kind of went, seems like Peter needs taken down a rank or two. 
Okay. What else? Yeah, sometimes it's not always easy to be the leader. Uh, maybe Jesus would look at him going, Peter, they do look up to you, and I'm going to use you as an example. Uh, and that, that's not always fun. Absolutely. I, th- I think there's a number of reasons why Jesus called him out. I think one that we maybe overlook a little bit, I think Jesus was probably a little frustrated. And we go, no, he's Jesus. He's just peace, love, and kumbaya, right? Like, There's an exclamation point. You will deny me three times. I I think there's probably a little frustration there. Jesus has said multiple times, I'm going to go just as it is written. He said it at at the Last Supper. He says it again here. Look, I know what's coming. I know that it's written. But something we're going to look at next week at Jesus' prayer in the garden, he wasn't looking forward to it. Like, Here's the thing. We think, yeah, Jesus was God. Everything was easier for him because he was God, but he was also 100% man. He felt everything we feel. He was tempted in every way that we're tempted. The book of Hebrews says, Jesus knew that his friends were gonna turn their backs on him and run away in his greatest hour of need. Did that hurt him? Yes. I, I think there was part of Jesus that was going, really, Peter? Never gonna run away, huh? Tonight, within the next eight hours, you will deny you ever even met me before. I think there's probably some hurt there. I think that there's some of these other things as well. And and to a greater degree, I think it was important that Peter knew, that Jesus knew what would happen. In Luke's telling of this same story, Luke wasn't there as an eyewitness, but Luke made it his life's goal to go and interview everybody who saw anything to do with Jesus and basically just put together like this really orderly account. And so Luke comes with this piece that actually happens right before Jesus says, everybody's going to run away from me. He says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Simon, Satan has asked to shake you and see what comes out. But I have prayed for you that your faith won't be hurt at all. No. That your faith won't even bend a little, Peter. No. Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Peter, your faith is going to be tested like it's never been tested before. Satan has asked for permission to shake you to your core and see what's really there. I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith wouldn't fail. 
We, we kind of alluded to this with what some of you guys were saying. For Peter to be able to look back afterwards and go, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, exactly what I was going to do, and he still chose me. He still dipped the bread in the cup with me and shared a meal with me and walked with me and loved me. He knew what I would do, and he still chose me. That Peter's faith wouldn't fail, that it would actually be stronger on the other side of this sifting. And Jesus knew that the other disciples would need Peter's faith. They, would, they needed to hear what Peter was going to do. Jesus needed to bring it to the forefront so that Peter couldn't hide from it. So that the next day, when they all got back together in an upper room, Peter, like, we all turned tail and ran. Peter, were you with him? I ran too, just like he said. That, that John would see Peter deny Jesus. Like, it needed to be out in the forefront so that what would come later would also happen right in front of all of them. This couldn't be something that Peter could sweep under the rug. Jesus wanted to put Peter on display in his weakest moments so that he could come back to it later and show how strong he is. We'll, we'll come back to that. So Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. In verse 31, but he, being Peter, kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then they all said the same thing. Listen, Peter meant every word. Peter wasn't like hedging his bets and going, no, Jesus, we're cool. But really in the back of his mind going, if things get too hot, I'm out of here. Peter was in it. Jesus, like truly, I can't think of a single thing in the next eight hours that would ever make me run from you. I will be with you to death. And he meant every word of it. Peter was a passionate guy. This wasn't half measures. He was in it. In fact, within the next couple hours, many of you know this story. Judas, uh, who we heard about a couple weeks ago, who had been looking for a way to betray Jesus, finally goes and gets a mob together with the temple guards and some people who, are, who have been cahooting with him. They know where Jesus is going to be, and Judas leads them up to Jesus and betrays Jesus in front of all of them. And as Jesus is being arrested, Peter goes, this is my moment. I'll show him I'm not running from anybody. And in John's account, we have this. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, sheathe your sword. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Peter, what are you doing? When have I ever said start cutting them? That's not what we do. Like, Peter... I have to believe Peter was so charged that Peter was probably on his guard. I won't run from anything. And he sees his Lord beginning to be arrested. Now's my moment. He jumps into action. I will never run from you. I would never deny you. And he does the only thing Peter knows how to do, react quickly and strongly. So he pulls his sword, cuts the man's ear. I love, it says his name is Malchus. That's their way of going, go check he'll confirm the story. Oh, he was there, and he'll tell you about how this guy that he was arresting actually healed, like put his ear back on when it had been cut off and then was led away. Like, go ask him. He'll tell you the story. But I think that something happened to Peter in that moment that has happened to many of us. 
Peter was on board as long as he thought he understood what was happening. Remember, we've talked about this all through the book of Mark. Their view of the Messiah was he's going to be this king that comes and kicks out Rome and kind of puts Israel back on the map. And Jesus has been trying to dissuade them from this, but they kind of just keep coming back to it. They think Jesus is going to be like earthly power and earthly authority. And so when he starts to get arrested, Peter's like, let's spring him. This is maybe the time when Jesus like raises up and becomes the Messiah. And so he gets his sword. And when he gets his hand slapped for that, there's, you can see it in, in the story. There's this moment of like, but if not that, then what? If we're not going to jailbreak you, then what are we supposed to do, Jesus? This has caused many to lose faith. We're on board as long as what God's doing makes sense to us. As long as we can kind of see how this leads to something that we want to happen. But God does not work that way. God will call you into situations that you don't understand. He will call you to actions that you don't understand. You can't see the end of the plan. And he says, follow me anyway. And that's where for many of us, we take a step back. For some, we turn tail and we run. Because we've been taught you can only have faith in things you can understand. The lesson that Peter's learning here is when faith really comes in is when you don't understand. So Peter does what so many do. He turns and he runs. In fact, everyone runs from Jesus and he's left with the mob. Peter goes into self-protection mode, which many of us do when we don't understand we go to fight or flight. He tried fight and he got yelled at. He tried flight. And here's the thing, Peter wasn't even really good at it because his flight was, I'll just kind of follow Jesus from back here instead. He, he knew I can't turn tail and run on him, but I also, I can't be with him. And so he decides to kind of follow him from a distance. And so while Jesus is being put on trial, Peter is in the courtyard outside trying to catch a glimpse, trying to, to see, to figure out what is actually happening here. Back to Mark chapter 14, while Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's servants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with that Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went away out the entryway and the rooster crowed. There's one. The, the bell has told Peter, there's the rooster when the servant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them, but he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you're also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. When he thought about it, he began to weep. And again, Peter didn't set out to deny Jesus. It wasn't even an option on the table. But when Peter lost the ability to understand what was going on, he went into self-protection mode, and self-protection mode always leads us to places we don't want to be. It always leads us to mistakes that we regret. And listen, I'm sure the whole time Peter had uh, 
thoughts going through his mind that justified his actions. I mean, I can't help him if I'm on trial with him, right? So I'll just kind of stay back a little bit and look for the signal. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really running away. I could have run further, but I'm still here kind of and probably had all of these thoughts justifying it in his mind. And then he does the very thing that Jesus told him he would do, that he swore he would never do. And to make matters worse, again, Luke adds a piece into it. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. It's not hard to imagine why Peter would run away in tears. Not only had he denied the Lord, he had been caught red-handed. He, like, he actually made eye contact with Jesus in the middle of cussing these people out and swearing by heaven that he had never even met the man before. The rooster crows, and in the midst of it, he looks and he sees Jesus' eye. He is caught red-handed. To look Jesus in the eye, the moment you come to yourself and realize what you're in the midst of doing, the words are barely out of his mouth, but he knows he can't take them back. So again, let's talk a little bit. What would you have experienced in this moment if you were in Peter's shoes? We, we see that Peter, he got out of there weeping. What would you have experienced in that moment? Shame. What else? Go ahead, man. What's that? Sure. Being scared. Like, even the few things you thought you knew now just crumbled away. You have no idea what's going to happen. Now, I, I, Peter was terrified, I'm sure. Shame. Scared. Sure. Yeah. Again, Peter and the boys had been there for all of Jesus' teachings, and Jesus has had some pretty strong teachings on what it means to follow him. And I'm sure Peter is asking the question, was that my one opportunity? Like, did I just deny? Like, is that the only thing that matters now? I, I have put so much on the negative scale, I could never work it off. I've denied him. Am I going to have no part in him? Yeah. What else? Sure. Yeah, it says Peter wept bitterly. And I, I think there was so much just grief and remorse. Again, I think he came to himself. I think when he saw Jesus, when he heard the rooster crow the third time, there was the, what have I just done? Like, and I was caught red-handed doing it. I have no doubt that there was prayers of God, I'm so sorry. Like, how could I have done that? What else? Yeah. I blew it. I ruined it. 
How could he ever forgive me? In his greatest hour of need. Remember, Peter and them, they'd never seen Jesus in any kind of situation like this. He was always the master over whatever situation he was in. And now here he is, bound, being beaten and tortured. And he caught me red-handed saying, I never even knew the stinking guy. I blew it. My, like, I'm so guilty and there's nothing I can do to make it okay. Let me tell you this. I, I, I agree with every single one of those. I think guilt and shame are among the enemy's most dangerous weapons. Catch this. But they're among the things that we accept the most easy. We're, we're almost caught looking for ways to put guilt and shame on ourselves. It is our natural because if anybody knew, but if they really knew, we readily accept guilt and shame and the enemy is ready to pour it out. And it is among his most dangerous weapons. So we move forward in the story. Jesus is crucified and then come the longest three days of Peter's life. The rest of Friday, all day Saturday, into Sunday morning. The Lord is dead. We know that all of the disciples kind of gathered together in this one room, locked the doors, and we're just commiserating. What do we do now? We put all of our eggs in that basket and he's dead. What do we do now? The ladies, on the other hand, are a little more proactive. They think, well, we can at least go prepare Jesus' body. And so they get these spices and everything together and they're gonna go to the tomb where Jesus is so that they can truly get his body ready for burial. It was kind of a quick thing that happened on the day he died. They went, he deserves better than that. We gotta do it right. So as they're heading there on that Sunday morning, they, they get to where they can see the tomb and the stone is rolled away. And many of you know the story, the tomb is empty. And what's their immediate thought? What's everybody's immediate thought? Somebody stole the body. Oh no. But then these angels appear. God is so gracious. These angels appear and they give a quick message. Mark records a quick message that they give to the ladies. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He's not here. See the place where they put him, but go and tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. I think, probably for me anyway, the two most powerful words in the entire gospel of Mark are captured in this. And Peter. Everybody needs to know this. All the disciples ran away. All of them are scared. All of them need to know that he's not dead. He's risen just like he said he would. He'll meet him in Galilee. They all need to know this, but Peter is called out by name. No one was hit harder by this than Peter. No one is struggling with the guilt of abandoning Jesus like Peter was. And the Lord knew this and was so gracious. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Make sure Peter knows. If Peter's in the bathroom, wait till he comes out. He can't miss this. Let him know that I called him by name. Go tell the disciples. He's risen. He's waiting for them in Galilee. But make sure Peter knows. We called him specifically. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. 
And so over the next couple weeks, uh, Jesus appears to the disciples when they're in this upper room, uh, and none of them can believe it. They think it's a ghost, and, and he eats and drinks with them because a ghost can't eat and drink, and they're like, oh my goodness, it's real. But then he kind of disappears pretty quickly. They don't really have much time to talk with him. And then he shows up a second time because Thomas wasn't there, and Thomas is a doubter. And so he shows up and he goes, Thomas, look, touch the holes in my body. See that it's really me. And then he kind of disappears quickly. So they keep getting these affirmations that Jesus is alive, but they don't really get to to talk with him much. And then John captures this a, a few weeks later. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. You have to understand some things here. To go fishing for Peter, Peter wasn't just like an avid fisherman. And man, there's just something about being out on the water that relaxes me. For Peter, this was my identity before Jesus. I was, I was Simon the fisherman. That's where Jesus went and found him. And, and Jesus said to, to Peter, what? You're, not, you're no longer gonna catch fish. You're gonna fish for what? Men. I'm giving you something new to do, Peter. You're not that old Peter anymore. But Peter, I believe because of the guilt and shame that he's carrying, left alone with his thoughts, I'm going back fishing. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to who I was. Life was better back then, maybe. I'm going back there. And here's the thing. So he goes out that night with other fishermen. Again, these are all seasoned fishermen. And what do they catch? nothing. I can't even do this right. I can't even fish anymore. Like Peter's got to be pretty low at this point in time. But we have to understand this shame always leads us away. Guilt always leads us away from God. It always causes us to hide our face, to shrink back, to go back to what we felt before. So verse four, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? Thanks, jerk on the shore. Like, no, we haven't caught any fish. Like, why would this guy point that out? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John. John's a really humble guy, so in his book, he doesn't use his own name. He beat Peter in a race to get to the tomb, but he just said, Peter ran with somebody else, and the one that Jesus loved got there before Peter. And like, he's kind of a humble brag, okay? But the one Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped. He was a little bit naked. So he ties his garment around him, and he plunged into the sea. But since they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in on the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you have just caught, Jesus told them. So Peter got up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. 
So they're out there not having a great night. Here they are the next morning, not a fish to show for it. This guy from the shore starts yelling instructions. What does this guy even know? We've tried everything else. So they throw the, the net. They catch all of these fish. John says, Peter, it's the Lord, Splash. Where's Peter? Peter heard, it's the Lord, and he's in the water. Peter was so drawn to Jesus. Again, I don't think Peter knew what was going on. Peter, like most other times we see Peter, didn't really understand what was happening, didn't know what Jesus was doing on the shore, but Peter knew one thing. I think there was always one thing inside of Peter that he could not let go. In John chapter six, we find a story where there's thousands of people following Jesus. And Jesus knows their motivations aren't true. They're, they're coming because they like the miracles. He did the fishes and loaves thing and they like to eat. So there's these people following Jesus to see what he's gonna do next. And it says, Jesus turns to them and he says, you wanna know what it is to follow me? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And thousands walk away. In a matter of minutes, it goes from thousands to 13, Jesus and his 12. From this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you not want to leave too, do you? Or, excuse me, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go, Jesus? We think you're crazy half the time. We don't understand anything you say, but here's what we know. Nobody else has what we need. Where are we going to go? To whom are we going to go, Jesus? You're the only one that has what we need. And I think on the boat, in the midst of everything happening, that probably came back to Peter. It's the Lord, Peter. I have to be with him. Wouldn't it make more sense to kind of come in with the boat, Peter? I'll see you guys there. And he swims his way in. And just for fun, he gets in there and Jesus says, hey, give me some fish. And so again, the net's so full that they, everyone thinks that they should be bursting. Over 150, it says large fish in there. Pete's like, he wants fish, I'll get fish. Pete drags the whole thing on shore by himself there. You want fish, you got fish. Like, he, I think he's just so overwhelmed. I just wanna be with you. I just want to be around you. I don't understand what's going on. I have no idea what you're saying most of the time, but here's what I know. Where you are, things are different. You're the only one that has what I need. Here's what else I believe. I believe Peter expected judgment. I believe Peter thought, okay, he's calling us in. He'll let us be around him, but there's probably gonna always be this rift there's probably gonna always be this unspoken thing. But if, if my relationship with Jesus can just be good enough, I'll take it. If he'll just kind of let me hang around him, I'll take it. But I think that Peter was probably always expecting to get some of those Luke 22 looks every now and again. You know, he'd say or do the wrong thing and he'd look over and Jesus would make the same face that he made with him when he was outside in the courtyard just to remind him, hey, Peter, I still remember what you did. I think Peter expected, I'm going to walk with Jesus and carry my shame. That's just my life now. It's better than nothing. If he'll let me be around him, that's fine. We'll always know that I let him down, that I betrayed him. We'll probably never speak of it again, but it'll always be there. 
but where am I going to go? Who else has the words of life? And so Peter was probably settling in for the long haul. I'll walk with Jesus and feel ashamed every time I look at him, but it's better than not walking with Jesus. I think Peter knew Jesus well enough to know that he would be forgiven. I don't think Peter knew Jesus well enough to know how complete that forgiveness would be. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. He told him a second time. He asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. This story can be a little hard for us to follow. We can get the gist of it. Three times Peter denies him. Three times Jesus makes Peter proclaim that he loves him. But understanding something about language can help us kind of go a little deeper with this. Um, As in most things here in America, we've ruined English. Um, we, we have one word for love that means just about everything. I love my wife and I love pizza. And no one bats an eye when I, sit, when I put both of them in the same category of I love them. In Greek, they actually had three different words for love. They had the word eros, which meant like a romantic love, a passionate love. The love I do not have for pizza, but I do have for my wife. They had phileo, which meant brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love, okay? And then they had this word agape that meant sacrificial love. I love you enough to put what's most important to you above what's most important to me. So understanding these things, Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me, Peter, the first two times? And Peter responded with, I phileo you, Jesus. Peter... Do you love me sacrificially? Jesus, you know you're my friend. And you can, you can almost hear in the story Peter looking down at the ground, kicking some sand. Yeah, you, you know we're, we're good friends, Jesus. Peter, do you, like, do you like love, love me? Jesus, you, you're my friend. Of course I love you. And then the third time, Jesus asked Peter, do you phileo me, Peter? Is it just brotherly love you have for me, Peter? We're just friends. And at this, it says Peter is grieved that the Lord would ask him, do you phileo me, Peter? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And here's the thing. I don't think Peter fully gets it yet. They go on to have this whole argument about what's going to happen in the future. It's not really an argument, but Peter kind of pushing back. But Jesus refuses to leave Peter where he's at. He continues to call him in, even in the midst of Peter's betrayal of him, of Peter turning and running back to being a fisherman, who he was before. The person Jesus told him to stop being, no longer fisherman, now fisher of men. And he sees Peter in the midst of running away and failing miserably at it. And there's no, I told you so. There's no, how could you, Peter? 
I don't think they ever talked about it again. But Jesus refused to leave Peter in his guilt and in his shame. Peter, look me in the eye. Do you love me? I, I can't. You know, yeah, yeah, you're my friend. Peter, Peter, look at me. Do you love me? Peter, look me in the eye. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You can hear Peter giving up. And what's he giving up? His shame, his guilt. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus restores him. Feed my sheep, Peter. He is restored and he is called into partnership with Jesus. I'm the good shepherd, Peter, and I don't just entrust my sheep to anyone. I want you to feed them. I trust you, Peter. Feed my sheep. He refused to leave him in his guilt and in his shame. And many of you here listening today are still carrying in your backpacks your guilt and your shame because if he only knew what I did, how could he forgive me? How could I ever look him in the eye again? Let's go back to where this all began. The first thing that Jesus says to him back in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when, not if, and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that the others would need Peter's faith. They would need someone to lead them who was able to look them in the eye and go, what's the worst you've done? I spit in his face while he was being tortured for me. I looked him in the eye, called down curses, and denied that I'd ever even met him. What's the worst you've done? And he didn't leave me in it. He had every right. He could have, just like I said, we could have been good enough, but he always would have known. But he refused to leave me there. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Lord, you know all things. I, I got nothing else to hide. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Peter. For those of you here today, for myself, we are so ready to take on guilt and shame, but if he only knew, but I could never be that close to him again, but I could never look him in the eye, not with what I've done. And he says to each of us, do you love me? Then come with me. And I'm telling you, we want it, but there's something in us that goes, uh -huh. and he would say, no, 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 do you? Do you love me? Come on. He wanted to be with Peter so much he wouldn't let anything, even Peter's betrayal, the worst betrayal there was. What Judas did, I don't think was as bad as what Peter did. And he told him, I love you, Peter. Feed my sheep. Walk with me. He tells him later that actually, you know what, Peter? You're going to be foundational in building my church. This, this new kingdom thing I've been talking about, I'm using you, Peter. I love you, Peter. I trust you, Peter. I forgive you, Peter. Set down the guilt and the shame. And you know what we don't have any record of Peter doing from this point on? Fishing. Don't have it. Not even recreational. There was a lake. I had a net. I figured one. Nope. I don't do that anymore. I have been made new. I have been forgiven and cleansed. And I have a new calling now. 
I have a partnership with God in what he is doing in this world and nothing, not even my own guilt and shame can separate me. If you were here this morning and you feel that weight of guilt and shame, you're not alone. And Peter would look at you and go, what have you done? His beard was being pulled out. He was being punched in the face, hit with sticks. And I refused that I'd ever even met him before. What have you done? Peter, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. They need to hear that you have been forgiven completely and that that forgiveness waits for each of them who also turned and ran from Jesus and were probably kicking themselves and going, how could I? I left him. And it's Peter that steps in and goes, he told you it was going to happen and it happened exactly like he said. I denied him, I turned and ran, and you also saw him forgive me. You also saw him call me back in. Certainly, you're able to come in too. Let's pray, and then we're going to respond with a song. Lord Jesus, it is so natural for us to carry guilt and shame because we know us and we know what we've done and we know what we were thinking and we know that we knew it was wrong and we did it anyway and we know that you know that too. And so we listen to the lies of the enemy so often and we allow that to put a space between us. I can have a good enough relationship with Jesus but it can never be great because I know what I've done. All the while... You continue to look us in the eye and say, do you love me? Then come closer. You refuse to let anything stand between us. And so often, because of our own guilt and shame, we hold you at arm's length. Jesus, may we have experience with you, even today, even as we respond to this with song. May we have an experience with you, God. May we catch a glimpse of what you truly offer to us, of how much greater your love is than anything wrong we could have done, how sufficient you are, how merciful you are. May this not just be, for, as it is for many of us, something we know in our heads, but may it truly be something that we experience, the freedom from guilt and shame, the ability to stand tall, without weight bowing down our back, the ability to look you, our Savior, in the eye and to say, I love you. To receive the call that you have placed on our lives, God. Truly, this is not something we can do. We need you once again to move on our behalf, to call us again, to show us that we've been made clean before you, May we have hearts willing to accept the greatest news we've ever heard. May you reveal the enemy's lies to be exactly that, lies. And may we turn to the truth that your love is greater and that we have been made clean. Come, Lord Jesus, I pray. Move in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the music team to come. And as we respond to this, the... The platform here is always open. If you need to come and kneel, if you want to do business with the Lord where you are, that is fine too. Respond to what he is saying to you this morning, though.